0: You are listening to the Design Strategy Guide
1: podcast, the show about connecting design to your business. We talk with industry experts about optimizing and improving your business with the design. We are all about giving actionable advice and tricks you can apply tomorrow. And
0: here is your host, Romina. Hello and welcome. Today I'm talking with Lina Kiriako. Lina is a strategic and service design consultant. She's the owner of Dolphin, where she and her team provide strategic and service design solutions within various brand building disciplines and business verticals. She's also business instructor of the Strategic Design Lab at the Pantheon University of Athens. I love their approach because it combines theory, work on real case studies, and connecting with experts. Lina is very experienced, and it was so enjoyable to talk to her. She shared so many useful tips from her own career, and I'm sure you will get inspired. So let's start. Design Strategy Guide Podcast Hello, hello, Lina, what's the right way to pronounce your surname? I forgot to ask you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I understand, it's, uh, it's a bit tricky. It's uh, Lina Kiryakou.
0: Uh-huh. Well, I, I wouldn't have guessed it, so it's cool that I asked <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> It's okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Design Strategy Guide podcast. And I must say that I was very excited when you, you, when you confirmed, and now we're finally recording. But let's start somewhere out of the office. So how would you describe yourself out of the office?
1: Oh, right. I would say that... I like meeting friends uh, over dinner and a glass of wine and wait for it, dancing to tunes from the 80s. And yes, I was there when uh, those hits were born. I'm enjoying uh, a bit of calm because work is hectic, so if I get the chance to calm down, I am very excited. I'm enjoying Pilates and tennis, which I've left alone for far too long but what I really miss right now after a year of quarantines is to travel you know talking to people I don't know observing culture tasting amazing food opens up my view of the world and I would feel it's a loss if it just went away for good both for me personally and for my work what can I say? I'm, I'm passionate about equal opportunities, human and animal rights, accessibility. Writing articles is something I love to do, but have not been engaged as much lately due to work overload. I love learning. I'm a fan of lifelong learning. And that's why I'm always enrolled in an online course, <laughs> so I can juggle that along with my work schedule. I love online courses give me a lot of opportunities to to learn. So that's what I would say I'm like out of the office. Yeah, do you think that's necessary
0: for being a design strategist that we're also very curious?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I find it imperative for a design strategist to be away from design as much as uh, possible. You know, when we close ourselves in our bubble. We just think about this bubble and not everything else that happens around us. And being a designer means to have as a complete view of the world as possible. So yes, I find it very, very important to go around, meet people, talk to people who are not like you, discover cultures, see what other people think and how they react. All these things, all those wonderful things that we can do outside our office. Yeah, exactly.
0: Otherwise, we're just repeating the same process again and again. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And now fast forward to your job. It's funny that we both worked at TBVA Group. Oh, (laughs) really? I find it very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. In the start of my career, I also worked there as a designer. Oh, Um, great. So... It's uh, funny that you're not coming from the design space, but you started working as a project manager and then you slowly moved to sales, strategy and marketing. Mm -hmm. And you're also a business instructor now, I saw it in university in Athens. Yes. But was it hard for you to get familiar in design or was that something that, in your opinion, connects with strategy and, of course, marketing
1: well, I have to tell you that looking back, I'd like to think that I have been a professional working with uh, a design and uh, human-centered approach long before I actually heard the terms. So when I came across colleagues who introduced me to design, design thinking, the human-centered uh, approach, and all these wonderful things, I thought to myself, whoa, you know, I've been doing this... For such a long time, but I didn't have a term to attach to that. So I was very excited that there was a realm of possibilities and I would be able to combine what I love to do, which is, you know, designing experiences, talking to people to understand what their needs are, combining business needs. And all these through the lens of psychology and behavioral economics and everything in between. So all these aspects of humanity that were interesting for me came into a term that was called design. And I thought, yes, that's what I should be focusing on. And that's how I created Dolphin. And that's when the the title uh, was added to my career story. That was when I became involved in design, but you know, as as a title,
0: I think it was very invaluable for you that you moved from different departments, Mm -hmm. and you got a chance to learn from the best in that department. Mm -hmm. And now that you have your own business you can apply all this knowledge. But what the design strategy actually means to you? Do you see it as a design strategy in a more visual aspect or um, designing strategies for businesses? Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, it's funny because I've been present and have participated in long conversations about the differences between strategic design and design strategy. And of course, you know when you look through books there is a distinction what i what i see as a design strategy is the premise and continuous process where business goals meet the design mindset and methodologies to produce solutions to tangible problems or innovate beyond the restrictions of doing things like we've always approached them you know we always hear about well we've always done it that way or i don't know we've never tested that we've never uh, seen how it works so i see design strategy more like emphasizing on what design can bring to design mindset can bring to business goals not so much as a visual approach so Mm -hmm. my focus is on strategy I really
0: liked your description of your
1: company when
0: you said uh, that we are problem solvers, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not by instinct, but by design. And uh, this is so true because nothing happens by coincidence. And of course, you can get some quick wins by coincidence, but that's not how companies can scale. Do you think that when you're using um, or applying design strategy, In a broader aspect, does this result in more creative solutions for the organizations? Or do you see any other benefits?
1: Well, let's start from strategy itself. I mean, without strategy, there are only random wins, as you said, if any, or quick wins. And what we do through strategy is to have consistently a positive impact on the people we design for and the organization we work for either internally or externally. And that means that we design both for the customer and for the employee who will offer the experience. So design strategy for me is not only about coming up with uh, creative solutions, which is true of course, but about being open to to the needs of both the internal and the external audience, which in turn opens up opportunities to discover well, let's say, untapped territory for uh, successful solutions and solutions that the competition may not have even thought of. So it creates a competitive advantage as well. That's how I see it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. But what do you think It's uh, the most important part when company decides for employing a design strategist or, let's say, that you get a new project somebody approaches you and now they want to get like next level with their company and they don't know a lot about design strategy how would you uh, tackle this problem and of course explain them what they will get in return
1: well this is a this is a long conversation always (laughs) (laughs) yes because well The clients I have uh, talked to and our team has talked to often go to the uh, solution. I mean, the the tangible solution. What are you going to bring me? Is it going to be an app? Is it going to be a website? Is it going to be a new service that I can offer? And it's always a struggle to describe how you will end up to this solution if this is the solution. And many clients have trouble understanding that the, the final outcome, the, uh, the tangible outcome, as they say it, is not clear from the beginning. And uh, so we try to, to show them a clear pathway of how to achieve the goals that we set together, which includes a solid plan to test the design solution solutions and a shared canvas com- of metrics that will prove the effectiveness and efficiency of our actions Be- because you know when you get into a project everybody may have their own view of uh, what they need to have accomplished by the end of it so everybody has uh, a goal in their minds uh, if it's not set forward you're set for trouble <laughs> And so what we make sure in the beginning is to set the goals and objectives and see how we are going to get there, how we are going to test the solutions, and how we will know that we have succeeded or not. And that's how we try to to set a a strategy. This is very, very, very hard in a pitching process, but we try. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i
0: also think that it's very important that the team that wants to work with you that uh, you have mutual trust because you're going through a process that's full of change Mm -hmm. especially if you're using design sprints or any kind of agile work and they have to trust the process you know and like you said the end is never the same as the plan
1: exactly yes
0: but how do you then approach connecting teams together because as i understand you are working um, with different kind of teams and some of you you have employed and others are outsourced Mm -hmm. Um, and of course then on the other hand you also have clients and they have their own teams how
1: do you tackle this um challenge well, the trick we've found is uh, to not separate them <laughs> at all. You know, we try to blend the teams. We infuse the organization with mixed DNA coming from daily interactions with each other so that everyone understands struggles, strengths, and what they can bring to the table for a more efficient, effective, and viable result. So we we blend them together and to be fair because you know we always uh, say that you know traditional organizations or ad agencies or you know uh, marketing um, agencies have not been working the way we do but to be fair this is uh, something that i have observed as an effort when let's say traditional advertising agencies were discovering the digital realm and had to face the mountain of differences between strategies and that were very profound in coming up with strategies, but in a more traditional environment. And people who were coming from a tech background, who knew all things tech, but lacked then the depth of research and strategy. What they did, uh, they would put them together in teams, and they would try to... Have them exchange uh, views, both from the strategic and the tech realm. So, what we try to do is actually incorporate that into the way we organize the teams. We we try to get into the client's organization and have our people work closely with the other departments. This is, of course, yeah. not trouble free. <laughs> But at the end, we always find a way because we like to listen. This is our strength, I think.
0: I see in my work that a lot of people don't understand that there's so much magic in cross-functional teams, especially if they, again, trust each other Mm -hmm. and you can move so quickly through challenges. When you have each other, it's much easier easier to be effective but now i have a question because we live in the covid um,
1: (laughs) world how do you mix the teams um, now well we we hang on tools (laughs) digital tools and we try to we try to do that by meeting online of course however in a kind of balance that does not you know make them sick of each other <laughs> you know when you're in a zoom meeting all day it's uh, counterproductive it's not offering anything to the team and you know the, the you know, opposite you... i mean they they are frustrated and you know when you bring someone who is not in the organization and they are on your head all the time it's not exactly ideal and when you're not in an office and you have to be online all day with that person, uh, it's always it always means trouble. <laughs> so we try to keep a balance. And well, to be honest, we do meetings only when necessary. Otherwise, we offer tools that any member of the team can have access to another mm-hmm. whenever they need it but not all the time. I mean, I've heard organizations do these continu- continuous Zoom calls. They get in in the morning, they open a Zoom link for, I don't know, eight hours. And anyone who wants to ask something just jumps in and does that. We have found that this does not work, but we are always you know, entering a project and a new team with a fresh eye we may enter another project and see that this actually works for them so we'll do that but mm-hmm. mainly we just don't want to be you know on their heads all the time with a continuous zoom environment
0: <laughs> yeah i think that's like cia you know it's not really for uh, being productive but it's more like oh. I'm here and I'm watching what you're doing. It would be also frustrating for me because I would feel that I'm not capable of doing my work or something.
1: Exactly, exactly. If someone's watching you all the time is not it's not productive at all. <laughs> yeah.
0: I feel that uh, shorter meetings are much more effective.
1: Yes, absolutely. Everybody does their homework <laughs> and comes in with a clear agenda. We may do a meeting for, uh, you know, uh, half an hour with three bullet points and If we finish in 20 minutes, we'll just stop at 20 minutes. I remember when we were in the offices, you know, some people felt that they had to be around even if they didn't work because everybody else was doing overtime and they thought their bosses would assume that they're not capable, they're not, you know, doing work, so they would just hang around. (laughs) And that's not healthy.
0: It's not healthy. And of course, they didn't do much work either. I think COVID changed the perspective of meetings because before it was like, yeah, we need to meet. And just because we are together in the same room, we will talk for one hour. Because if we talk less than one hour, then we didn't do anything. (laughs) Yes, Exactly. Exactly. What would you say that are the qualities of effective design strategy department? If you would have to decide just for a few employees profiles, who would you choose?
1: Well, it's all about fostering a collaborative environment where everybody is comfortable to share their view and work without silos and diversity. Opportunities for growth are also fundamental prerequisites for me. But I've uh, also found that a shared sense of purpose is a key driver as well. I've been in situations where members of an organization would not understand their vision, their role in that, and how they can contribute value. So there was a general confusion. and. The organization was under the impression that these people are not capable or they're not fit for the organization. So it's very important that the vision is shared and everybody understands that they can contribute in that way. So people who can foster that culture are those who can contribute to an effective design organization for me. Design is so inclusive that you cannot say you're doing design or you're working on design and not have those values in place. Yeah, exactly. If you
0: don't believe in something, it's very hard to do so. If you believe in Mm a healthy life, you cannot work for, let's say, a cigarette company and be totally in and focused on goals. (laughs) I can't imagine doing that.
1: Yes, it's like uh, playing theater. I mean, it's playing a role uh, that is not you.
0: Do you believe that design has to be in the center of all activities or the company can infuse
1: innovation mindset also in other ways? Well, like I said, design is a mindset for me. And the way that an organization works reflects on this mindset. For me, yes, it is important to have design as a centerpiece in your organization. But still, it's not a team, a dedicated team that can do that. I feel that organizations can infuse, like you said, a design in different aspects. I mean, in financials, even, (laughs) which is, you know, usually the department that we think is more rigid and cannot really work with that mentality. I actually had the opportunity to participate in a workshop the other day. And it was talking about prototyping with numbers, (laughs) which was a notion I had never heard of before, but was very interesting. So aspects of design can very well be implemented in every aspect of an organization, except for the dedicated design team, in my view, of course.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's important, like we said in the beginning, that if you know what's your goal, and you're striving to go there, even if you change your path, that you use in design and then, of course, different workshop techniques and different design processes to get there. And then on the way, you will innovate because you will have to find a lot of different ways to come there.
1: Yes, exactly. Because innovation is not only about coming up with uh, something that's never been done before it's it's also about combining existing solutions but in a different way
0: yeah in a different way and because in reality there were a lot of things already done now you can just do them better and more customer centric Mm -hmm. And of course, on the other hand, you cannot forget on the business side as well, but if you cut the unnecessary parts and make the simplified experiences, then you're already much, much better than your competitors.
1: Yes, exactly. Because not many organizations uh, work in that way. I mean, may come as a, as a shock for us because we are into design, you know, we're into this bubble of ours. But People would be surprised of how many organizations do not uh, work with a customer-centric approach. So there are loads of opportunities out there for strategists to come up with solutions that are not inventions, but are innovations.
0: I'm always surprised that a lot of people don't use agile approach as well. So they yes. do one solution <laughs> make it public i mean develop it make it public and then they think that that's it and that they are just waiting for customers for get in you know and start using yes. their product <laughs> and that's why i like peter drucker saying that what you don't measure you can't manage right nice. uh, yeah A lot of things in design are a bit more trickier because you cannot measure a lot of stuff, just the consequences. So do you think that as we scale our design maturity as organization, that we should also implement design metrics? And what would you say that are your go-to metrics or what are the most um, important metrics that you would choose?
1: Well, this is a good question, also, because there is a lot of talk about metrics, and there should be, because otherwise, we don't have any view of what we're doing. (laughs) And everybody is expecting something different, as I mentioned in the beginning. So, yes, metrics are very important, but I have to say, I don't have, well, let's say a go to design metrics canvas. When my team enters a new project, we approach everything anew and work on the metrics as we understand the challenges our clients are facing. What we make sure is to include qualitative metrics as well as quantitative in order to bring everyone on board as to the why along with the what. I think it's a trap to stick to what's happening and not follow through to understand why it's happening. So you can plan particular actions. I mean, I've seen spreadsheets, spreadsheets and spreadsheets about what is going on, you know, Google Analytics, quantitative, quantitative uh, research and all that, which is, of course, a wealth of information. We should be looking at those metrics. But then, you know, you just have those numbers and you, you stare at them. <laughs> you don't know why these numbers are there. So we make sure we, we follow through to understand why everything is happening. So a road we always make sure to pursue is understand the business needs, apart from those of the people we design our solutions for, and include the metrics that will speak to the hearts and the spreadsheets of the management. So we can fuel a continuous conversation and demonstrate valuable insights that work in the boardroom as well. And I know that this may sound as a sellout to the corporates for some, but I'm sure you're very well aware that projects which work as fireworks may produce some fancy boards and presentations, but if we don't convince the management, there will not be the continuum that builds a design mindset for the company. And we need that. We need the buy-in from the management you know sometimes we're we're just given you know a go you know, do it but then our work just stays in fancy boards and is not explored further so we don't want that Yeah, exactly. So now if we dissect
0: what you said, you said that you are presenting design metrics in the boardroom, Mm -hmm. but are you doing this uh, continuously, weekly or monthly, or how do you approach this?
1: Well, no, weekly we don't. We try to have periods where we can have valuable results. So in the beginning of the project, we say, okay, we will run this Research. We will have this and then we will take the results and utilize them for that. So in each period, we present the outcomes and in a way that they're available for everyone in the team, both within the team, within the, the design team, but in, but for other teams as well who are into the project and for management, if they want to go through them at all times they can go to an online tool that we have and we have all those results there of course nobody uh, wants to go through each detail but you know they can access it if they if they want to we always have an executive summary that is available for the management mm-hmm. so they can review what we are doing and of course we're available to present at given dates which we have pinned out in the beginning and then we make sure that you know if we change course like you said so correctly you you will change course i mean i think by now it's a given (laughs) that we will change course because of the because of the research that we're doing the insights that we're gathering if we change course we make sure that we explain to everyone that should know why we have changed course. Because, you know, if we leave it to the end result, we have not identified these aspects towards the management. Many, many problems (laughs) head in our way.
0: Do you feel that educating the clients is also a necessary part in the beginning um, Mm. so that they know that this will probably come and then how you will tackle all this changing the course and where you will document all these changes so you can come back and decide where this was this a smart decision or not like doing a retrospective in a quality Mm -hmm. way
1: yes what you say is very important lots of clients are not accustomed to this kind of work unless there are large organizations that have been exposed to design methods before. So yes, it's important to try to break down the process, uh, what can change when and what we will need if it's buy-in from them before we go to the next level. And all this has to be done carefully because it creates a kind of uncertainty that i'm sure many members of management teams are not comfortable with (laughs) they want to know why they are employing a certain team what the outcome will be when exactly so it is a challenge that needs education beforehand Yes. And then it's not always easy. I mean, you don't just go in and explain and they say, wow, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, breaking (laughs) this down for me. And now I understand it's not like that. And sometimes we fail. We have to say that it's, it's not a path of roses. It's a struggle. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think it's important that we also fail because otherwise I believe that we would just live in a comfort zone Absolutely. and you don't know a lot of different perspectives then. And like you said, it's not easy to sell something that, yeah, yeah, we're going there, but we will not uh, come there. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. just trust Absolutely. us and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I also find it's very important that they are prompt in giving feedback because a lot of clients agree to get on board, but then when the process starts, it can be quite hectic in the beginning. And if they are not prompt and they forgot to uh, give feedback or they're not quite transparent, it's really hard to get, you know, their juicy details and then you cannot do good solutions.
1: You know, I understand them because uh, this is the way that organizations have worked so far. And maybe these people have to answer to other people. (laughs) Maybe they have their headquarters that they have to answer to. So if if there is a, a traditional organization that has learned to function in a certain way for years and years, just to come in and say, well... We're going to do is uh, we're going to do this differently uh, now, and it entails as much uncertainty as we've just talked about. They feel uneasy, and maybe their budgets are at stake. Maybe other projects are at stake. So I do, I do understand. I empathize. That's sympathize, yeah. but yeah. empathize. <laughs> Yeah, because in a way, it's
0: not just a design project or um, the project that you're giving, but also another project for infusing design and the way they work um, in the organization. Exactly. Um, Yeah, so they are two separate projects. And then the third can be educating them. But I think when you get to some quick wins and they see the result... Mm -hmm. or some feedback from users, it's much easier then, and also the change um, is much faster.
1: Yes, what you say is very uh, interesting, because when we started off, we just went for the big picture, and we'd go after projects that were big and, you know, transformational, let's say. And very soon we found out that, you know, very few organizations are ready for that kind of change. And they're ready because someone else has started this design mindset, you know, infusing these design aspects. So when you get to have smaller wins, the organization understands the value. And then they may trust you for something bigger. So that's how we uh, function as well. Mm.
0: Yeah, I feel that's the same way as... um, people want to lose weight yes. and then of course the change is not uh, the change is yes. not seen in a week or a, in a, nice a month or so, you no know, it it of course yeah, it can be visible but it's not the same so you have to commit and after a while of course when you're uh, consistent you can see the change and that's why i think it's very important you mentioned before that you cannot share the design metrics immediately mm-hmm. and weekly or monthly And that's connected with short-term projects. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I feel it's very important that you find a client that understands the long-term commitment with you. Yes. And I guess you're just choosing clients like that, right?
1: Yes, we try to. But then, you know, it's like you said, the educational part, because when a market is not uh, mature, design mature, you're trying Mm -hmm. to have case studies that show the value of design so that other companies understand what this could be beneficial how this could be beneficial for their own organizations so yes we try to to choose clients on this basis but let's say we do compromise that for case studies i have to say that i have to admit <laughs> We
0: do, (laughs) yeah. But some, like you said, that there are failures, failures, but a lot of failures teach us. So, what would you say that uh, your biggest professional or one of the failures teach you?
1: To listen more (laughs) and understand that people are not always uh, moving with the same velocity as you, which could be, you know. Slow or fast? Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I found that, you know, sometimes you have this thing in your head and you say, well, I don't understand how this is not, you know, visible to everybody, but it's not. And one of the the greatest um, lessons I've learned is that active listening is priceless, I have always had a knack for empathizing with people, but sometimes you think you listen, but in reality, you are just dressing up what you hear with what you already have in mind. So trying to be more open and really listen to what the other uh, party is saying is something I've learned through many failures. I mean, from day one at work when I was very young (laughs) until now. Uh, Listen.
0: Yeah, a lot of times we're already ready to
1: give an answer and we didn't even hear the whole story yet. Yes, exactly. That's what happens to my students at the university. You know, I find that they're listening to the brief for a project, for a case study, and they come up with a solution. And I'm like, okay, how did you come up with that? And they just, you know, oh, well, we thought it was a good solution. (laughs) 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 so we try to teach them the process we try to take them back (laughs) and you know young people always uh, like to run i mean that's a given so it's a challenge to to try to infuse strategy in that kind of thinking
0: but what's your learning process there i mean teaching process uh, do you work, you mentioned case studies, so you give them a case study and then they have a, uh, one semester to uh, make it real or do they work in teams?
1: Well, it's a lab, so everything oh. is, yes, so everything is a uh, real life practice, let's say. What we do is we, we teach in a way, yes, but through people who are in the market So I am a professional who is working, I mean, I'm not an academic, so I'm a professional who's working in the market. I invite other professionals who are specialists in their field, and everybody is presenting an aspect of strategic design with examples from case studies that are out there, and We try to incorporate a lot of practice. So we do workshops now with online tools because we cannot, of course, meet (laughs) with our students. Not yet. Well, not this year, I think, unfortunately. We do workshops. So so we do workshops. We do case studies. And it's more or less like you uh, described. So we uh, bring a client in, a real client and they give uh, a brief on a case study. They may give a brief on an actual challenge that they have during the period uh, that the semester is running. And students work in teams and come back with their solutions on um, the request. And these could be case studies that are worked upon the full semester or micro case studies we can give a brief one week and then the the next week they have to come up with uh, their solutions according to the request
0: that's such a cool way of learning you know your students (laughs) must be very happy to have you and also the ability that uh, they can talk to with real clients and of course um Get the real feedback from experts like yourself.
1: Yes, and this has been the the norm that the lab is designed upon. Back when I was a student, because I was in the same university many years ago, (laughs) and it was it was very very helpful for us because we had real life experiences, like you said, and then we went off to the market and. Even the agencies were knowledgeable of the work we had done. And I believe that when they saw a resume from our university, they were, they were you know, they, they knew the work that was uh, going on. And they had an idea of a person who could actually get to work a bit faster, maybe than any other junior executive.
0: Yeah, much faster. But is the school international or is it in Greek language? I mean, I'm, I'm just asking because this is not very common that universities so future-oriented, mm-hmm. uh, like that they combine the learning, uh, real experiences, and of course, uh, having the ability that professors can invite the experts. Yes, yes. Usually, it's just academics uh, that teach theory and rarely invite experts.
1: Yes, that's true. It's mainly in the Greek language, but our leader, who is an academic, but uh, a very forward-thinking academic, Betty tsakarestu is her name she's very outward thinking and always makes sure that we invite even specialists from abroad so these lessons are being held in in english so
0: do you have the same approach for every subject or just for subjects that are part of the lab
1: it's a it's a lab in particular, Mm -hmm. but the lab is a part of a larger department, of course, which is communication, culture, and mass media, if I'm not mistaken, in English. (laughs) So within the department, there are uh, several labs. Ours is the ad and PR lab, and there is a lab that is focused on journalism, and then another lab focused on culture. And within these labs, we have this kind of approach. The, the rest of the program is maybe more traditionally oriented, more academic oriented. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, students have yeah. both aspects. And <sighs> yes, of course, right. you also need theory to, to become better.
1: Yes, and we also do hackathons. We have, you know, I mean, my lab is a vertical lab within the general umbrella of the Adam PR lab. So we have other labs that are dedicated to startups, to crisis management, to market research, marketing, creative. Oh, am I forgetting? Public diplomacy and many other aspects (laughs) so it's fun to to be there but very very tiring because you know all these labs have case studies they have so much practical work but like you said it's a it's a cool combination between the academic aspect and real life challenges And you also have a lot
0: of opportunities to learn from younger people. Yes. Because I think that the psychology of buying and also consuming changed a lot, especially now COVID showed like other aspects that we were not aware of before.
1: Oh, you're so correct. And I see every year that I'm learning from these students I understand more about how they think and not only as consumers, but as people who are entering uh, the market, uh, a work environment, they're not the same at all to what we were when we were entering the market, what they need, what they're looking for in a company, what they want their work environment to be like, what their aspirations are. I mean, we were not as entrepreneurial as they are. I remember that we were more like, you know, I'm now out of university. I want to get employed in a big agency so I can have lots of experience and build my resume. But they are more like, I want to build something of my own. I don't want to go into corporates. (laughs) Yeah, I want to change the world. Yes, more purposeful <laughs> organizations are driving them. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting to observe.
0: Yeah, and I, but on the other way, I feel that's cool because my parents, I mean, the generation of my parents, they, just, they were looking for a full-time job and a lot of them were working there their whole life, you know. Yeah. I can't even imagine working for a company that's for 20 years or even for 10 years, because things change so much and a lot of companies die, you know. Yes, exactly. If you're not working for a big corporate company. And on the other way, you know, also, if you work in a smaller company, you get a lot of chance to learn and actually have impact on what you do. Because if you're working for, let's say, Google, you're probably working on some smaller um, feature, Yes, yes. yes. I mean, it's cool for people that love that, but younger generations want to have impact. So The larger picture,
1: correct. Absolutely.
0: But what is the most common rookie mistake you see in your field of work (laughs) or also as a professor, as someone that gives a lot of lectures in the lab?
1: Well, a rookie mistake, I would say, is... Drowning into methodologies, going through what you read in a book without the strategic thought behind it, having a fixed playbook and trying to force it, no matter the challenge. I mean, I see I see some people who are graduating from design schools, which was not you know something that we had the option to do when I was studying at the university. And they have all the methodologies, they know exactly, you know, what design thinking is, how they can implement it and all that. But they get fixated with methodologies and they sometimes do not have the flexibility to understand the challenge and see, well, actively listen (laughs) to what the, the project is about. So I think that's a rookie mistake when you when we bring forth methodologies that not you know combine well, then you see the mistake and try to understand how flexibility works in the real life environment.
0: You already mentioned before that you love um, online courses, yeah, and. Of course, you're not then just writing, okay, step one, step two. Yes. And then just <laughs> copying the same process. But it gives you an idea what can you do better or different yes. and infuse in your own process. And now I want to ask you about the tools that you use or you would recommend. You mentioned that now during a remote work, you are using a lot of tools, mm-hmm. but maybe you can share uh, what's your favorite tool or... Yes. Which ones are you using for documentation and also for workshops?
1: Well, I find that every week I come across a different tool. <laughs> and if I wanted to test everything, my team would go crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well, anything that fosters uh, collaboration, freedom of expression, access from anywhere, um, visual a depiction of complex ideas in a simple form is, is something that anybody can uh, utilize. Our team works a lot on Notion, which we, utilize it, which we utilize for pretty much everything. I mean, it's such a flexible tool and you can really customize it according to your needs. We also use Miro for Mm -hmm. workshops and collaborative work of course mural is a fabulous tool as well but somehow we we stuck with Miro, and (laughs) we're going along with that we use markup io which is fantastic for you know putting your notes your observations on an actual design on a website for instance different tools. I personally love all things Google Slides and Notes because it's so collaborative. I mean, I can work on a presentation and the whole team can pitch in while I work. And I also consider Blinkist as a tool. I mean, not in in the traditional sense, but, well, not to skip the work that reading a book entails, but Blinkist just gives me the zest, and that helps me find out which uh, books I want to delve deeper into. And to be honest, I think podcasts are tools to enhance your uh, view of the world, your knowledge, your habits, your hobbies. (laughs) So I listen to podcasts a lot. I read books a lot.
0: has helped you the most. Over your career, which one would you feature? <laughs>
1: uh, a book or a podcast? You can tell us about <laughs> podcast and also a book. <laughs> well, on podcasts, I find two bobs very useful because they're very strong on business uh, strategy. It's uh, a podcast by David C. Baker and Blair Ains, and they I, I, it's it's something that I cannot really express I mean it's like they know what my thoughts are and what my struggles are and they just throw out a a podcast episode on those (laughs) they do the research (laughs) yes obviously because they're consultants themselves how I built this from Guy Raz is also very useful yes and Not on the the very professional side, but, you know, on psychology, behavior, and leadership. I love to listen to Brene Brown, Dare to Lead. She's fantastic. I've read a lot of her work, and I follow her on social media. (laughs) So I like everything Brene Brown. As in books, well, there are lots of books that concentrate on methodologies, like I said like this is service design doing the design thinking toolbox, userpalooza, the customer experience book, and all of these. But in the the sense of broadening my view of the world and reading about uh, aspects of humanity that I'm interested in, I would definitely suggest Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Think like a rocket scientist by Ozan Verol, Engaged, Amy Butcher, oh, definitely Don Ariely, Predictably Irrational, and oh, I would say The Power of Habit, which is something I've struggled a lot in my life, you know, my habits, my procrastination, my need to stay up late and not wake up very early. You know, I read all about these uh, people who get up at five in the morning and I'm like, oh, my God, how do you do that? (laughs) It's a lie. It's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) It's a world (laughs) conspiracy, I hope. (laughs) Well, I can stay up until 5 o'clock, but not wake up on 5 o'clock.
0: <laughs> Maybe you're just a night owl. Yes, you know.
1: <laughs> definitely a night owl.
0: I'm totally uh, different. You know? oh, okay. I like to get up uh, early in the morning, but lately my son is get up in four forty, So Ooh. I'm like, oh my God, this is so crazy.
1: <laughs> oh, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so early, but around 6, it's okay. Okay, well, you have to give me tips. I don't know what to do. I've struggled with that for decades now. <laughs> but-,
0: but I don't think that's a habit, you know. I think that some people are just born being like early birds, and some of you want to be um, up like during the night i don't be, I think yes. it's not possible to change the nature of you, you know.
1: You know, that suits me, Romina. Thank you very much. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I can say that to everybody who's complaining. I mean, why can't you get up earlier?
0: (laughs) That's why I worked
1: in advertising, advertising, you know. (laughs) (laughs)
0: No, but I also have a friend that loves to sleep. Mm. And she also tried a lot of stuff to get up early and she was not really successful because... And then in the end, she just said, you know, I'm like that. I I like to sleep and I need a lot of sleep and that's it. (laughs) Well,
1: good for her. I'm a fan. (laughs) 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 No, I really Um, admire you people. I mean... Congratulations, (laughs) you're much better than (laughs) me.
0: (laughs) No, no, it's not a competition. But would you say that after reading the book, like The Power of Habits, that things are different or you leveled up your readiness to get up early?
1: Well, I wouldn't say that the book changed the way I sleep. I mean, how I wake up and everything. (laughs) But I uh, truly understood why I'm doing some things and how I can change them. So now I'm in the process of, you know, activating, let's say, the knowledge that I gained. (laughs) Now my procrastination hits. Uh, There are some things that That give me a hard time. And I've observed that these are the things that I don't want to do. So I procrastinate. I'm very quick on other things. But when I feel uh, uneasy about something or insecure or, you know, imposter syndrome just drops in, I just observe myself, you know, letting it go tomorrow, the next week, next month, you know, in the summer. I just push it further. (laughs) Don't want to deal with it. But, you know, there comes a time when, as deadlines work, you cannot push it further and you just have to deal with it it's called adulthood (laughs) it's called life
0: yeah it's called life but sometimes we're not ready to make a step forward but when we have a friend or mentor anyone that we can trust i think it's much easier yes if we share our challenges And then they give us their hand and first step is a bit harder. But yeah, then we see that the world is not so scary.
1: Yes, absolutely. And when you take a step forward, it's like the the small wins you mentioned earlier. When you just take one step and see that it's not as intimidating as you thought it was, then the velocity hits (laughs)
0: When we synchronize with that new person or challenge, it gets easier and easier. And it's the same in the process of design and management and leadership.
1: Yes, Um, absolutely. Yes. Well, small results lead to uh, bigger (laughs) steps. That's true always. And we've come to the end.
0: And I'm very grateful that you took time and joined the episode the new episode of design strategy podcast and i'm sure
1: that listeners would will love um, what you shared Romina, well, thank you so much it was an absolute pleasure talking to you
0: just one quick question where can people find you i will also add your links but you can tell us what's your preferred way
1: of reaching out to you Anyone who's interested in talking, they can find me on LinkedIn. Lina Kiryakou, this uh, strange name. and (laughs) I will share the link. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And of course, my email, which is also a bit difficult. So maybe, maybe, yes. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) The audio version is not very easy for the listener.
0: No, it's important that we link, um, and I'm sure that you will get some questions.
1: Oh, we'd be delighted to answer them. (laughs) Okay, thank you, Lena. Thank you so much, Romina. Great to speak to you and keep it in touch. Design Strategy
0: Guide Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to learn more, visit designstrategy.guide. If you enjoyed this episode, I will be very grateful if you share it with your friends, colleagues, or leave me a review to help other people discover this podcast. Thank you and enjoy your day.